Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast, celebrating pro and college football history. Hello again, Jackson Michael from the Game Before the Money here. You likely know the Game Before the Money radio show ran on the SportsMap radio network this season. In this podcast are three interviews from the final episode of the radio show for this season featuring Dan Neal, who was a member of two Super Bowl winning teams with the Denver Broncos, Upton Bell, who is director of player personnel for two Super Bowls with the Baltimore Colts, and Super Bowl 30 most valuable player, Larry Brown of the Dallas Cowboys, who won three Super Bowls with the team. Between the three of them, that's seven Super Bowls worth of experience that they shared. And I'm excited to bring it all to you here on the Game Before the Money podcast. Here are the interviews as aired on the February 11th Game Before the Money radio show. Please remember to check out the GameBeforeTheMoney.com. Denver Broncos offensive lineman Dan Neal. Part of two Super Bowl winning Denver Broncos teams with John Elway at quarterback. Here's Dan Neal sharing with us his Super Bowl memories and his look at Super Bowl 57. What do you see going into this Kansas City-Philadelphia matchup? There's a thousand ways to kind of dissect each each game and each team. These are two pretty good football teams. Philly's been good all season, and Kansas City has been good the past four or five years and has maybe the best quarterback in the league. So I, I kind of would say I, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, obviously, it's going to come down to some of the, the cliche stuff, turnovers, mistakes, all that. But I think these are pretty evenly matched teams. I think anything can happen. You know, both teams have, have really good lines on both sides of the ball. Can you kind of talk about that and, and, and what to look for, seeing one team maybe gaining an advantage in the line of scrimmage? Jones is going to be something to see how the Eagles stop him. He obviously took over the AFC Championship game at the end. I mean, he's a hell of a player. You know, the Eagles have a great pass rush, aggressive defense. Eagles offensive line has been really good all year, and they are really good. Uh, I think better than the Chiefs offensive line. But, you know, the Chiefs do what they need to do. And, and really, it's give Mahomes time to let Mahomes do what he does. Uh, they're not a great running team, but they're they're adequate. So, I, I mean, if you have to give a nod, I'm going to give the nod to the Eagles on both sides of the ball, but not by much. Coming into your first Super Bowl, you know, the Broncos played the Packers. At the time, the Packers had the stud defensive tackle in the league and Gilbert Brown. Do you remember what the strategy was in, in containing him? You know, he was a, a good player, but he, he kind of played into our system. Gilbert was more of a north and south stopper. He didn't like to go east and west, and we were an east and west running team. So it really, we, we didn't worry too much about him. We, we felt pretty confident we could handle him, and I, and I think we did in that game. You know, you, you, you look at each player and, and kind of in a unit and you kind of strategize what we need to do to be successful against this defensive unit. And if there's a really great player, you need to consider how you're going to handle that great player. Uh, and that kind of is the scheme of things. Um, I, I, and I think there's good players all around. I don't think there's a player that for me, if I'm, I'm either one of these teams and I say I have to do something totally different for this one player, like Aaron Donald's one of those guys. I don't see one of those guys are either side of the ball in this game. Oh, really? Including Chris Jones, then? 
Chris Jones is the closest one, but I mean, he's a good player and he has his moments, uh, but he's not every play. Uh, and again, he's a great player. This, this is by no means, a, you know, a knock on him, but he's not Aaron Donald good. I mean, literally, Aaron Donald will take over a game if you don't account for him. Going back to your first Super Bowl, a second, and that experience, you know, Elway had been there before. Did the veterans, did, did they kind of guide the younger players into what a Super Bowl experience was going to be like? Absolutely. I think that's one of the intangibles that uh, the teams understand that maybe sometimes the, the, the fans overlook. Yeah, and that's why, I, you know, I think the Chiefs have a little bit of advantage here is, is their main guy, Mahomes, has been here twice, right? He, he's won one, lost one. He knows this game. He's comfortable right now. You look over the Eagles' side of the ball, there's still a few holdovers from that, that world championship team they have with Nick Foles, but there's a lot of turnover. And their main guy, and Hurts, has not played in this game before. And I can't express enough how different this game is start to finish. It is something you've never experienced. You can't even explain it. You have to experience to understand it. So that's advantage to the Chiefs. But, again, there are enough veterans on that Eagles team that I think will – set the example on here's what we do, here's how we go about this, here's what to expect. And, and really it's set the example. It's how they handle the week, the other guys, because all those young guys are watching them for guidance on what to do and expect. Can you kind of talk about what, what the day before the Super Bowl is like? This is how we did it in Denver, and I think most teams do it this way, and that is there's a two-week ramp up to this game. And so the first week, we did a normal install game plan week like we were going to play on Sunday. And then we flew out to San Diego, I believe, that Saturday, settled down, you know, did the light stuff on Sunday. And then we repeated another game week that week before the game. We're creatures of habits. And so by doing the routine that we're so ingrained and used to, it kind of kept things normal. Uh, you're still in your routine. You're obviously in a hotel. There's a lot of differences, but you're in your routine and it's a work week and you, you know, the expectations and what to do. So as far as like, where are they today on Thursday? You know, this is a Thursday work day for them. And then Saturday is, you know, they get ready to that for that game. It'll be the same thing they do every Saturday all year. So it, it kind of keeps you from thinking too much about it and focusing on the routine of what you're used to. You know, on that first drive that you guys had the ball, you made a great play, pulling a guard, taking out a Falcons player. I think you called it the power play. And then Terrell Davis got a big gain. How important is that to get a play like that under your belt early in the game? Oh, I think anything's positive. You know, you always hear about, all right, we're going to you know start with these high percentage passes for the quarterback, get him in the rhythm. Well, it's not just a quarterback. I mean, we all got to get in the rhythm. <laughs> you know, they just focus on the quarterback and, you know, linemen do too. And we script the first 20 plays and most, a lot of teams do this. Here's the things we're going to go in this game looking to do. And you look at those first, you know, four, five, 10 plays and say, what are we going to do here? Are we doing empty backfield drop back, uh, seven yard drop back, chunking the ball where it's a lot of pressure on all offensive linemen? Are we running the ball? <laughs> you know, are we doing play action, things that we like? So. Yeah, you've got to get in the flow, too. And, and a lot of times that first 20 is those type of plays, high percentage, get in the flow for everybody. And Again, it comes down to cliches, but in this type of game, and really big games, it's you know getting some points on that first drive is so critical. And you guys control the line of scrimmage against Atlanta. Do you guys do that as a group? Is it individual matchups? How, how did that play out? 
that's the thing about a good offensive line. There are no individual matchups. You know, the five guys work together, and you try to double-team as many of those guys as you can, even if it's for part of the play. So, you know, sometimes a guy will have two different double-teams, but he's helping two different guys. So it's a matter of how well we're kind of scheming here and, and controlling the line of scrimmage. Look, you could talk football all day long and talk about throwing the ball and, you know, completion percentage and touchdowns and all that junk. If you go talk to a football coach and ask him what are the two most important things going to a football game, he'll tell you, stop the run, run the football. you got to do those two things. Really hard to win if you can't do either of those. And so both teams are really trying to take away that from each other. And We were able to establish a running game. I know Terrell had over 100 yards that day. That was important. You know, John had a big day as well. John, I think, was MVP of the game, but Terrell, we wouldn't, he wouldn't have been MVP without the 100 yards on Terrell. That enabled him to throw the ball. So I always look for that. Who can get the ball going on the ground or who can stop it? That, that's big. Obviously, winning is the best part of the Super Bowl experience. But what stands out to you when you think back to those, like, like a great moment, either on or off the field? There's kind of two different things that I remember about the Super Bowl. The, the moment was afterwards holding the Lombardi Trophy. You know, I've never touched it since, but holding it on the field after the game, and you know, that was pretty cool. Um, not everyone gets to do that, so I was very, very appreciative of that. That, that was the positive. Uh, you know, like I said, it's it's a different game, and what I mean by that is just. You know, you, you go warm up, then you go back in into the, the locker room, and then you have to wait an hour before you go back on the – you know, it's everything's all screwed up, and you don't really understand it. And it, it kind of hit me that this was a different game, and we were doing our warm-ups, and then we're walking in the locker room, and in my way to the locker room was Kiss and all their makeup and glory. I'm like, this is – get the hell out of my way, one, two. What the hell's going on? <laughs> They were doing like one of the shows, you know, there's like 30 different bands playing that day. But anyway, it's, that's your, your realization. This is a completely different game and your timing's all screwed up. You're sitting around. It, it really, and that's where the veterans were great. The veterans would say, guys, it's going to be 45 minutes. Relax. We got time, you know, because normally it's 10 minutes, but today's 45. So that, that, all that plays a part. I guess the halftime would have been a half an hour rather than 15 minutes. Yeah, it's forever, you know, and that's exactly what happens. It's, it, the coaches will say it, but the players, you know, the, the Elways, relax, take your seat here. We got a lot of time, you know, keep loosen up, keep stretch. You know? And that's who handles those differences. Because remember, going into this game, I mean, for us, it was like it's the 19th or 20th game of the season. So the other, you know, 18 or 19, we did it a certain way. Well, now we're doing it differently in a really big game. And, and, and the fact that half the world or most of the world's watching you goes across your mind. So you kind of try to keep yourself relaxed and in your zone and, and understand that this is a regular game surrounded by a bunch of irregularities. Well, Dan, thanks so much. Is there anything else that you think is important to convey about the Super Bowl? I can't convey enough how fortunate each and every one of these players win or lose is to be able to experience it. It's, um, you know, I'm close to 50, and it's one of the things I cherish most is just being able to be out there for one. That's Dan Neal, a member of two Super Bowl-winning Denver Broncos teams, started in the Super Bowl, hoisted the Lombardi Trophy, letting us know just how special of an opportunity it is just to play in that game but also letting us know just how different that game is because of all the activities surrounding the game. Colts executive Upton Bell is going to talk about that some too here in a minute. I'm Jackson Michael. 
This is the game before the money. Visit thegamebeforethemoney.com and check out the Game Before the Money podcast. With me now is Upton Bell, Director of Player Personnel for the Baltimore Colts in Super Bowl III and Super Bowl V. His father, Burt Bell, founded the Philadelphia Eagles. He's got some great insight and stories to share with us. Let me start before I get into my prediction and stuff. Try and give you and your audience a look at what preparing for a Super Bowl is like and what the day of the game is like, Michael. I was involved in two Super Bowls. The one that we famously lost against the Jets in 1968 and then the one in 70 called the Blooper Bowl when we came back and beat Dallas. One of the things that people really have to understand about this is day of game is really difficult for a player. Now, in those days, the game started at 3.30 and our players already thought it was too long to wait to play. You know, you have to deal with your nerves. You have to deal with a different time of eating the pregame meal and getting taped. A lot of the guys go out to the stadium early. They walk around. They sit around. For the public, it's great. You know, they have this programming all day long and people gather for parties. And but for the player, it might be the tensest game of the year because nothing a player hates worse than having to wait. So in those days, I can remember the first one when we played against the Jets and Joe Willie Namath, 3.30 game, and the big news was Carol Rosenblum, our owner, was, of course, very close to the Kennedys, and Joe Kennedy was coming to the game with Teddy and this and that, and Nixon was calling the locker room, and I'm saying, I'm not going to tell Shula, but Nixon wants to talk to him because Shula will kill me for that. But think about that. It was 3.30 then. Now it's 6.30 which is even worse. So you have to change your whole routine. But the other thing that you have to remember, too, is you warm up, you sit around, you warm up, you come out to the national anthem, and then you have the coin toss, which could take from here to eternity. Then you finally kick off. You play the first half. At the end of the first half, instead of being the normal 15 minutes, it's almost a half an hour. We've just finished a very tough first half. And now you go in and you're sitting in your locker room for essentially a half an hour. Then you come back out again and you try to rewarm yourself up again. Not easy. Do you think that experience with the Colts helped both Shula and Chuck Noll guide both the Dolphins and Steelers to Super Bowl victories? Absolutely. I talked to Shula about it. And remember, Shula was only, let me see, for Super Bowl three against the Jets, Shula was only 36 years old. They talk about the young coaches today, and everything's changed completely. But when you're at 36, in spite of all the football that you've either played or coached, you're still 36. And I can remember before the Jets game, I remember saying to Shula, I said, you know what, I hope we are taking this game seriously. I know I'm looking at the film that looks like the Jets have no chance against us. I said, but, you know, this is the worst thing that could happen. I don't think, Michael, that he could ever convince our players how serious the Jets really were. Not only in Namath and Sauer and Maynard, but they had a great running game. I think that we were lulled into complacency, and then it was too late. <laughs> 
for that time in the game. So I think there are many lessons that you will learn. And certainly the one about managing your team during the week. Namath was giving interviews at the swimming pool and threatening our guys. I mean, Namath was loose like he, like he was, Broadway Joe. Our guys just said, you know, this is just another big loud mouth. And of course, they learn differently. So what is your perspective? What is your take on this Super Bowl? I think it will be decided by three points. I don't think it's going to be a blowout on either side. I'm looking at it as I would as like a personnel director. And what I see is with the Eagles, both their offensive and defensive lines, where I believe the game is always won and lost, is really superior. There, there isn't a weak link on that offensive or defensive line. I think their running backs are really good. Look at all the yardage that was this year gained by their running backs. It's over 1,200 yards. So they can establish the run, and then you have Jalen Hurts running and passing, not proficient as a passer as we would normally look at, like a Patrick Mahomes, but he's such a threat running that it causes a problem for the defense. I think they're really evenly balanced on defense. They're as good as any team in the league. When I look at going into a Super Bowl, who's the best balanced team? Like last year, the Rams were a better balanced team than the Bengals. In the end, the Rams won because they really were a better, in my opinion, constructed team. And Patrick Mahomes, he's going to be throwing against a really balanced team. And he is going to, believe me when I tell you this, Kansas City has improved their offensive line. But they ain't seen any Cincinnati pass rush this time. They're seeing, I think, one of the better pass rushes in football, period. The big question still is, is Patrick Mahomes still mobile enough to avoid a much more difficult rush than he saw against the Bengals? I would say that the Eagles are going to design their pass rush to keep him in the pocket. That doesn't say he can't be really dangerous. But the other thing you have to really consider is he was out of receivers at the end of that Cincinnati game. How good are those receivers right now? Have they recovered? Who knows? Another point, their running game. Their running game is questionable. They didn't run the ball very much against Cincinnati. They're going to have to run the ball this time. Now, they got Nalea back, who I really liked a lot. He's very shifty. He can catch the ball. He can do a lot of things. How well he's recovered from his injuries, we really don't know. So there are a lot of ifs on Kansas City's side. And I know you have to say they've been there before. They've appeared three times. Even though the odds are very, very close, I think most people will pick Kansas City because of their experience of being there before and the homes. I don't feel that way. Okay. And that's where we differ because I see this as more of the Broncos-Panthers kind of Super Bowl matchup. You see it differently. That doesn't mean I'll be right, but I'm looking at strictly in personnel matchups. Now, that doesn't totally account for Mahomes can be the miracle worker. That doesn't totally account for the idea that Jalen Hurts could turn out to be a pumpkin in this game. Although in the Eagles' case, they don't totally rely on him. Whereas in the Chiefs' case, Mahomes has got to have a good day. 
in the Eagles case, all the pressure isn't on Jalen Hurts. If you're just asking me as a personnel director and a general manager and somebody who really watches the line play, which to me is the biggest indicator, then I would say to you, realistically, realistically, that the Eagles should win the game. Upton, with you, your dad founded the Eagles. What do you think it would mean to him to see the Eagles in the Super Bowl? Think about the day he died which was in 1959, a hot October day. If you're going to go out in life, wouldn't you like to go out watching the two teams that you owned at one time, the Eagles that you founded, and the Pittsburgh Steelers when you sold your Eagles to keep them going, and you end up equal partners with Art Rooney and the Steelers? Those two teams played that day. And on that day, just as Tommy McDonald was crossing the goal line with a touchdown pass from Norman Brown Buckland to win the game for the Eagles, at that moment, Burt Bell dropped dead. And you're saying to yourself, people won't believe this. It's fiction. Can't be. But it was. So I think even though he's commissioner and he never outwardly rooted for the Eagles and he never said anything to us, he had to be happy about that. You know, he gave every nickel he ever had. He actually went broke doing it. My mother saved it for him by giving him the money to buy it and, of course, keeping us going at the time. So I think in his heart he would be extremely happy for what happened to that franchise and understanding that if he had lived three more days, you'd be sitting in the Eagles booth with me because he had made a deal to buy the team and quietly retire and back back the old team that he loved. As I did this week, uh, an interesting piece with ABC News in Philadelphia. There was a person who had a conversation with my brother before he died about Burt Bell and about the Eagles. And this person either contacted ABC News or they contacted him. And he said, as a last wish of my brother, he was taking an Eagles pennant out and putting it on my father's grave. So they actually went out there, and they had me on the other line. And so at the ending of it, they asked me what I thought. And I said, Daddy, the Eagles by three, and you can count on it. Eagles by three. That's Upton Bell's prediction for his late father, Burt Bell, who founded the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm Jackson Michael. This is the game before the money. Coming up, Super Bowl MVP, Larry Brown of the Dallas Cowboys. Larry Brown of the Dallas Cowboys won the Most Valuable Player Award in Super Bowl 30. The Cowboys defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers 27-17. Larry Brown had two interceptions in the second half, including one in the fourth quarter when the Steelers were driving and only trailing by three points. Both of Brown's interceptions led to touchdowns and helped Dallas win their third Super Bowl in four years. The Cowboys won two Super Bowls with Jimmy Johnson as their head coach, 
Barry Switzer was hired after the Cowboys had won two straight Super Bowls. A confusing situation to this day. We'll hear Larry Brown discuss that. He's also going to share stories about other great moments in his career. Brown grew up in Los Angeles. He was drafted by the Cowboys in the 12th round of the 1991 NFL Draft. And he ended up starting for the team that season. Imagine that. They don't even have a 12th round anymore. They called Brock Purdy Mr. Irrelevant at the end of the 7th round. And here's Larry Brown ending up starting in three Super Bowls and was named Super Bowl MVP. That's a great story there. Here's the Game Before the Money interview with Larry Brown. Uh, Larry, you, uh, you were a 12th round pick coming out. Nobody expects a 12th round pick to make the team. And yeah, you're, not to be on the team. That's right. You're, and you're a starter. How, how did that come about, do you think? Well, you worked hard. You know, um, the fact is when I got there, you know, I knew I had to do well on special teams. And that was going to be my primary uh, thing, and I did well on special teams. And when I got an opportunity to play, you got to produce. And so I felt that I could pick the team. Uh, the other thing that helped me, I was the only defensive back that got drafted that year, even though I was a 12th round pick. They didn't take any other defensive backs. And I think that also helped me as well. And then in uh, 91, the wild card game against Chicago, you got a pick off of Harbaugh. Can you walk us through that, please? Yeah, you know, we knew that Harbaugh was going to take some shots. The Bears were a really good team back then. and. We went up to Soldier Field. The weather was a mess, and um, they, they were going to take their shots. And you know they're going to take their shots at a young guy. So uh, when I got that pick, it, it brought a lot of confidence to me. Unfortunately, we went on the next week and lost to Detroit in the second round. But uh, that game there really gave us an identity of what we thought we could be. And, and uh, that Chicago game helped me as a player because they had some great guys on that team. And that helped you going into the '92 playoffs. In the uh, absolutely, because at that remember. And 92, 91, two years prior, they're one in 15. So no one thinks that you're going to go from one in 15 to deep in the playoffs to Super Bowl. So, you know, but that game there, I think we realized that we could be good. Even though we lost to Detroit, we, we kind of started to believe, like, okay, we got something here. And they added some pieces, and the rest is history. And then you played San Francisco in the NFC Championship three times. I guess you would have been covering John Taylor. Both, everybody. I was on Jerry sometime, John Taylor sometime. So there was some great matchup. Those teams are like incredible teams. Those games are, and we've always felt those championship games, whoever won that game was going to win the Super Bowl. So there were, there were Super Bowls before Super Bowls. So they were just as electric. They were just as exciting. And we felt that uh, if we can get past the 49ers, we, we'd win the whole thing. And, and that was Every time we beat the 49ers to get there, we won it. Whenever they beat us to get there, they won it. So it ended up working out that way. The first Super Bowl against Buffalo, you had an interception, I think, in the second quarter. I did. I did. Frank Wright. Frank Wright. That's right. So, again, they got to test the young guys. So you have to be prepared for it. And uh, as a defensive back, you want to be tested. You can't get interceptions unless they throw at you. So some guys are afraid, but you really want them to throw at you. If you're not afraid to make plays, go make plays and they'll stop throwing at you. And um, you, you'd walked us through the uh, second interception you made in the Super Bowl. Um, can you talk about that again, where you jumped the slant route? Yeah, that uh, the, the, first, the, film the first interception, Charles Haley was sacking the quarterback as he was throwing the ball, redirected arm, ball got away from him, and that was a gift. The second one was a blitz check, and uh, I beat the receiver to the spot and cut him off. And so I just jumped it. I went for it. So it was, I, either I was going to make a play or I was going to get beat. And I was fortunate enough to make a play and it helped affect the game. 
And, and you knew from where the receiver line to Absolutely. Uh, they only really had two blitz checks at that time, either a stop route or a slant, and based on their splits, you could tell which one it was. So it was somewhat predictable at that time. So I noticed that and uh, I took the chance. And then how surprised were you when you found out that Coach Johnson was leaving and how did you find Shocked. out? Nobody knew. Uh, we found out at the press conference like everyone else did. So it was total shock, you know, and, um, you know, we didn't know how, how, you know, obviously we don't deal with Jerry, Jerry's the owner, but it was unexpected and it was shocking for all of us. And um, is there anything else special about those Cowboys teams that you want to convey to everybody? Or I think that had they kept Jimmy Johnson together, we probably would have won another three if him and Jerry stayed together. When we wow. won those three that we did, we were the youngest team in football. And I think Jimmy would have kept those teams together. He would have found a way. And I think when Mr. Jones came in and kind of started running things, he slowly tore those teams apart. But I think Jimmy would have found a way to keep everybody together. And do you guys keep in touch now still? We're still friends. Everybody's got kids. We're 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 all we're all Al Bundy's married with children now. So yeah. <laughs> and you said your son plays for UCLA. My son plays football at UCLA, so uh, Emmett's son plays at Stanford. So we got kids all over and we're just excited to be supporting our kids. All right. Well thanks so much, Larry. Thank I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, a lot of great stuff in that interview, and I really appreciate the time Larry Brown gave me. He was going from one venue to another when we spoke, so special thanks to him and his team at Corona. About that Cowboys coaching change, that's something that's really overlooked about those Cowboys. They still made two straight NFC championships and won a Super Bowl after that abrupt coaching change. Here's what's overlooked. Players have to adjust to new coaches. And in the case of Johnson and Switzer, they had two drastically different leadership styles. And the Cowboys were able to adjust to that. They were that good. And most of all, that committed to winning. If you could imagine a boss you've had great success with, all of a sudden leaves and then someone else comes in with a completely different approach to the business, that's a really difficult adjustment. I'm not sure how many teams, how many groups of individuals could have stayed performing at that high of a level with both a huge change and distractions surrounding the shift from Jimmy Johnson to Barry Switzer. You can hear more about that from Larry Brown's teammate, Chad Hennings, on the Game Before the Money podcast. That is on episode number 37 of the Game Before the Money podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. Special thanks to Dan Neal, Upton Bell, and Larry Brown. Future podcast episodes include interviews with Randy Cross, Dermani Dawson, Joe DeLamalier, and Jerry Kramer. Transcriptions of some podcasts are available at thegamebeforethemoney.com and powered by our transcription partner, Sonics. S-O-N-I-X. Visit sonics.ai to learn more about their automated transcription services.